Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I'm going to be doing something different. In fact, I'm going to be fulfilling one of my promises that I did when I first started recording these podcasts. I originally said that about 20% of the episodes would be solo episodes and 80% would be interviews. Well, I haven't really lived up to that. I've been doing about 95% interviews and maybe 5% solo episodes. And most of those solo episodes were near the beginning of the podcast, the early episodes. And recently, I haven't really been doing any of that, primarily because I've been getting a chance to interview a lot of interesting guests, also put some material out there that I had recorded earlier. And so I kind of fell behind on this idea of recording some solo episodes. Why solo episodes? Well, there's a lot of interview format podcasts out there. In fact, most podcasts, it seems, that's the format they pursue. They find some interesting guests, they ask them a bunch of questions, and the guest basically provides the content, which is totally cool, and it's a viable format, and it works great, especially if you have interesting guests. But I thought, well, what other kind of way can I differentiate this show? What other way can I attract listeners? And I think I would like to share some of the unique ideas that I've experienced myself and not always be the guy who's asking questions, but occasionally turn the tables and share some other ideas of my own to personalize this podcast a bit more. That's why I sometimes have brought in Rejoice, my wife, so that she can kind of chime in and make it fun. In this episode, I want to read one of my old posts. I wrote this back when I was hiking the Continental Divide Trail over 10 years ago. While I was hiking the trail, I started thinking about what it means to be human, not expecting everybody to agree with it. On the contrary, I think probably most people will disagree with it, but you know, that's the point of podcasts is to kind of make people think. It's called about what it means to be human and why we backpack. So here we go. When you ask a through hiker, why do you backpack for six months? Many will give you a vague answer like, to reconnect with nature, to see where I fit in nature, or to understand our relationship with the universe. That's nice, but what the hell does that mean? And have you ever noticed that few will give you a solid answer to those tantalizing philosophical concepts? With a few thousand kilometers behind me, I have some ideas, and my answer is, will shock you. Let's start with a question of, are humans part of nature? Where do humans fit into nature anyway? Listening to the way that some people talk about our species, you might get the impression that we are not part of nature. People say that humans transform the natural environment. We build dams, hunt animals to extinction, and pollute the air with our factories and farts. The technology we create is artificial, and we wear synthetic fabrics. We eat processed foods and drive Hummers, Priuses, and golf carts. Conventional wisdom draws a line between the natural world and the world of humans. The accepted equation is nature equals the world minus humans. In short, we're an ugly foreign species that has invaded planet Earth. Some argue that we have done nothing but nasty things to rip apart the natural ecosystem and that had been in, that had been in beautiful balance before we came along. The human species is nature's worst enemy. Is this view correct? I've backpacked nearly 50,000 kilometers in my life. 
I've spent many moons sleeping under the stars, climbing mountain ranges, and observing the wilderness. I've been in the great outdoors more often than most producers of National Geographic. And I completely disagree with the conventional view of our species. On the contrary, humans and everything we create and do are as natural as a daisy growing in a meadow, as rain eroding a mountainside, and as an asteroid blasting our planet. Of course, if an alien landed on our planet, it would conclude that our species has some unique characteristics. We're bipedal, we've got big brains, and we love reality TV shows. However, the alien would ultimately clump us in with the rest of the biota on this planet. We're simply another living thing that is doing our best as a species to reproduce to the maximum extent that we can get away with. And, like any other species, we'll do whatever it takes to achieve this end, including lying about our age and income. Now, is that evil? Is that wrong? No, it's just what life does. That brings up another question. Do we have free will? I think that as individuals, yes, we have free will, but as a species, not really. As a species, we do what every species does. Utilize every power we have to maximize the propagation of our DNA. That programming runs deep. Some think that since we're sentient, we ought to rise above our base genetic programming and behave in a more enlightened way. However, it's a bit crazy to believe that our brains, which are only 100,000 years old, would be capable of overriding 3 billion years of programming. Of course, individuals can do this, but as a species, we can't. Every living thing, whether it is E. coli, carrots, or a silver-backed gorilla, all want to spread their genes as far and as densely as the ecosystem will allow. Why are there not a trillion gorillas? The answer, the ecosystem can't sustain that population. Why are there a billion carrots worldwide? Because humans have modified the environment to help them thrive. Why are there over a trillion strands of E. coli? Because there's plenty of space and nutrients for them, especially at McDonald's. All three examples show that a species keeps reproducing until it hits a population wall. Our job, like any species, is to keep reproducing and spreading until we hit that wall. Perhaps that wall is 20 billion humans on the planet. Currently, we're about 7.5 billion, by the way. Every year, we'll try to move that wall back so that we can squeeze a few more in the planet. In the last 50 years, for example, global farm production has tripled while land underproduction increased by only 10%. We'll keep getting more efficient to pack more people around the globe. If that means using nanotechnology to fight diseases, desalinizing the ocean, or planting more trees, then we'll do it. We'll keep doing whatever it takes until we hit a new wall. Perhaps someday we can squeeze 650 billion humans on this planet. I know, it's hard to believe but I certainly see a lot of empty real estate on the continental divide. Now let's think about beavers. Some people think humans have an unfair advantage over all other animals because our brains 
are bigger than most, and so we should scale back our actions to fit more nicely into the natural world. Let's consider that argument. When I'm hiking the CDT, I have little interest in getting beaver fever. Beavers poop next to their dams, and I get water downstream. Then I enjoy a waterborne disease and the associated frequent trips to the toilet. Notice the beaver couldn't care less of the environmental impact its actions are having on humans and other species. Before the Europeans arrived in America, there were about 125 million beavers running around. How many beavers would there have been if the beavers didn't use their full mental and physical talents? Imagine if they held back and had to rely on natural dams that occur in forests. There certainly would not be 125 million beavers. Is fully utilizing all their talents unnatural? On the contrary, not fully utilizing all our talents is unnatural. Just ask Dolly Parton. Now, once the Europeans started trapping beavers, invading their environments, and disrupting their dams, the beaver population dropped 90%. Today, there are only about 12 million beavers. Now, why not more? Because that's the maximum that the ecosystem can sustain. Humans are part of that ecosystem, and we're limiting their growth, just like cats limit the growth of mice. Let's imagine that humans had never existed and that beavers expanded into the billions. Let's say that beavers dammed every stream on the planet, thereby altering the geography and ecosystems throughout the world. Would observers call these changes unnatural or artificial? Would the beavers have knocked the earth out of balance? Wouldn't the planet just adjust accordingly, just like it did when the Rocky Mountains rose toward the sky, disrupting aquatic ecosystems that buried it? Humans are like beavers on steroids. We're not all that different from one another. If one agrees that beavers are part of nature and accept their natural behavior, then why not agree that humans and our actions are also part of the natural environment? Now we can talk about reproducing to the caring capacity. I love to ask myself odd questions when I'm hiking the CDT. Why are blades of grass so tightly packed? Why aren't they thinly spread out like trees in alpine terrain? Why aren't trees in alpine terrain packed like blades of grass? The answer is always the same. That's the maximum the environment can sustain. It's what's called the carrying capacity. The carrying capacity is never stable forever because the environment is never static. So that graph on the right, I'm showing a graph on the, in the website, is a bit misleading. It's basically an exponential graph, you see. However, it's true that all populations grow to meet that carrying capacity. How many strawberries, corn, and chickens would exist in the world if humans weren't around? We're doing those species a favor by modifying the ecosystem so that they reproduce more than if they weren't helping out, if we weren't helping out. We're farming them just like leaf cutter ants that I saw in Costa Rica that farm fungi. 
the fungus, the ants grow, like the mangoes that humans grow, benefit from the natural behavior of ants. The citrus trees, whose leaves are harvested, end up losing just like all the species we annihilate to make room for fields of corn. Leafcutter ants deforce massive numbers of trees. Indeed, humans aren't that different from leafcutter ants. We just cut down more trees. In fact, there are species of ants that herd amphids in much the same way that humans herd cattle. And those ants live off the sugary excretions of those amphids. Other species farm too. All these farmers are as natural as Willie Nelson's hair. Now, moreover, all species continue to reproduce if there are enough resources to sustain them. If they could, deer would reproduce to the point that they would be living on top of each other. That's what bacteria do. They live on top of each other because they can. So do New Yorkers. But aren't we artificially helping some species with our tractors and pesticides? A tractor and and pesticides are as natural as the stick a chimp uses to access a hole full of ants. They're tools that we fashion to help make life better for us. The purpose of humans isn't to make broccoli thrive, but we do. Nor was the purpose of humans to make the Neanderthals go extinct, but we did. Our purpose is simply to do what every other living thing does. Use our powers to reproduce to the maximum capacity the environment can sustain. But then you might ask, but what about invasive species? Biologists like to talk about invasive species that take over the ecosystem. They refer to some plants on the Continental Divide Trail as not native. They love to blame humans for introducing non-native species into ecosystem and destroying the natural environment. Folks who believe such things have a narrow perspective. What about the flea that hitches a ride across the continent on a horse and gets introduced into a new environment? What about the birds that carry microscopic fish eggs on their feet? What about the fact that life on this planet may have come from another planet? Does that then make all life on this earth an invasive species? Life invades ecosystems any way it can. Get over it. There's nothing unnatural about humans introducing or genetically modifying a species to make our lives better. We introduce horses in the Americas and the Native Americans introduce corn and potatoes to Europe. Bees introduce pollen to new pastures, and hippos introduce birds to new environments in Africa. Nor is it unnatural for humans to accidentally or purposefully introduce species that do us harm. Other animals do this all the time, too. Life, like a thru-hiker without food, likes to hitch a free ride. I've camped next to frozen alpine lakes in Colorado and seen wildflowers fighting to peek through the snow that was bur- that had buried them all winter. This delicate wildflower invaded this alpine region at some point. Indeed, as my last message mentioned, the Continental Divide was hardly a mountain range millions of years ago. Instead, it was a massive canal teeming with fish. Genetic modification is natural too. 
If bears could genetically modify or breed berries that are 10 times bigger than the current ones, they would do it. If a coyote had a brain like ours, don't you think it would develop wire clippers, traps, and machine guns to take out sheep and other prey? All the animals push their ability to their maximum potential, and we're no different. The pressures of the environment constantly help select for even more successful attributes. And what's success? Well, the more you spread your DNA, the more successful you are. In conclusions, humans are not outside of nature. We're part of nature, and our actions are as natural as a fly landing on a cow pie. We're doing what living things do. Sure, we have big brains, nice cars, and iPhones, but we're just doing what any species wants to do, spread far and wide. We'll alter the environment to make it better for our genes. We'll help other species that help us achieve that end, plants and some animals, and we'll kill species that get in our way. At times, we'll unwisely alter our ecosystem, but after paying the price, we adjust. And that's what all life does. We expect that because we're sentient, that we should behave differently than an amoeba. However, how can you deny three billion years of evolution? The urge to reproduce to the maximum extent is so embedded in our minds that we don't have a choice but to follow it. Individuals can resist, but the human race cannot. You might be asking, but isn't the environmental havoc we're causing unnaturally fast? Well, not compared to the natural asteroid that pummeled our planet 65 million years ago. The day it hit, more changes happened than all the changes humans have caused in the last 3 million years. Earth has sustained far more devastating disasters than what we're doing lately. And by the way, I'm going to go off script here a little bit, but this is a point that I love to bring up over and over again whenever environmentalists say that the global warming is happening unusually fast and we're changing the world unusually fast as if we're the, this is the fastest any time in history. And I use that example 65 million years ago with a big asteroid because that happened effectively overnight. The impact took about a year or two probably to fully black out the earth and kill off a bunch of species, but it was dramatic, far more dramatic than anything else. And it was 100% natural. So whenever somebody says that global climate change is happening faster and the temperature is rising and changing faster than ever before, just bring up that example of the dinosaurs going out extinct in basically overnight, and that should uh, recalibrate the discussion. Going back to the article, nevertheless, we are having a dramatic impact on the planet. We are certainly causing more change than all the beavers of the world. However, the impact is not artificial. It's just a byproduct of what our species is doing to spread its DNA. It's also not happening unusually fast. It's going at nature's speed. We're part of nature, and we're using all our powers to reproduce and spread our DNA as fast as possible. Volcanoes, tsunamis, earthquakes, and meteors produce changes far faster than whatever we can do, unless we use nuclear bombs. Also, we're not cheating just because we have a three-pound brain with billions of neurons. Just as a cheetah 
isn't cheating by using its gift of speed to catch an impala. The rules of life are simple. Use what you have as best as you can or die. But we're losing so much species diversity. Yep, but our species is growing exponentially. And that's all that matters to our DNA. It's hard to take over the world without breaking a few eggs. If the polar bear had the technology to cause massive global freezing, do you think it would care about thousands of species that would go extinct when the Amazon freezes over? The polar bear species would be glad to pay that environmental price if that meant it could expand its reach a thousandfold. Again, why do you backpack? Like other backpackers, I too like to reconnect with nature and to see where I fit in nature and to understand my relationship with the universe. Whereas some outdoorsy types don't explain what those statements mean, I've tried to do so in this article. Obviously, my answers are unconventional and even controversial compared to the typical tree-hugging backpacker who sees humans as an evil virus that is destroying the planet. I do not celebrate our actions, nor do I lament it. I just accept that what's happening is natural and that life and change will continue relentlessly. It's an unorthodox viewpoint that probably comes from my unorthodox way of life. While I try to leave no trace when I backpack, I accept that life usually doesn't do that. Life always tries to leave a trace. It tries desperately to leave its DNA everywhere it goes. I see it in every valley and every mountaintop I hike to. As my previous article talked about, the timeline of our planet is longer than we can imagine. Our species is just a blip in the timeline that we're doing what and we're doing what every species before us did, including to think that what we're doing is really special. So what does all this mean? Now, let's say you're crazy enough to understand what I'm saying and that you even agree with me. Now, what do you do? I live a low impact way of life and I encourage others to do the same. I value the ecosystem the way it is, although I recognize that it will change just like it always has. I don't despair. I accept and do my part to minimize my impact on the planet. I don't expect others to do it. If they have financial incentives, then they might change. In conclusion, enjoy the planet the way it is now and realize that it will continue to change. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on the latest episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. Here's one last reason to remember ftapon. If you like what I do and want to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash, yep, you guessed it, ftapon. That's where you can pick up some sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. And remember, subscribing to the WanderLearn podcast helps, but downloading each episode helps even more. 
please share the podcast, review it, and sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.